When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hunt, save the queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, the Daily Mirror's royal podcast. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and appropriately for World Cup season, I've got a podcast of two halves for you today. The first half focuses on Prince William's royal visit, and the second half on events back home, particularly Harry and Meghan's most recent outing. Within that first half, I was joined by Russell Myers via Skype. He made his debut last week, and as those of you who are listening will know, he is now travelling with Prince William for the Middle East tour. And he was in the room when the Duke of Cambridge had that really momentous meeting with the Israeli president yesterday. To give the situation some context, Jason Beattie, our head of politics, joined me in the nearest meeting room I could find to talk me through Israel and Palestine the political landscape there, and the history and Britain's involvement in the past. And then for a little bit of light relief at the end after momentous world events, uh, good friends of the show joined me in the studio, Amber Grafland and Danielle Stacey, to discuss some fashion and lots more. Welcome back, Jason. Hello, Anne. I'm very uh, glad you've got me here to talk about the politics and not what Meghan's wearing. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure you'd have a lot to say about that lovely pink Prada number, but uh, we'll focus on more important matters first. Um, so, Prince William is in the Middle East. Um, the Middle East, shamefully, I really don't know enough about, which is why I've brought you in. It goes into that box of too complicated, too depressing. I can't see how a good thing can happen there. They all fight it gets a bit better, then it gets a bit worse, and I despair of it. What is the context that Prince William has landed in? Um, where are we? What is going on? What is he doing? And can it actually help? Just a small question. <laughs> yes, we have a huge, long history. Now, there's few places on earth with such a long history as the Middle East, and few places on earth with such a contentious, divisive history. And the prince is walking into what is probably the most diplomatically sensitive visit made by a royal in recent years. And the reason it's such a difficult situation for the prince is because this is not just about the history from Israel's point of view or the Palestinians' point of view, it's also British history. Because Britain had the mandate which controlled the areas we're talking about now, which is Palestine and Israel, up until 1946, when actually we handed over to the Israelis in 1948, eventually. So we had this extraordinary kind of 
purchase in this, this area and a legacy there, which is, again, very sensitive. And the reason you have to mention all this is because it weighs heavily on both sides, particularly on the Israelis. Um, because they feel a certain resentment to how Britain has approached the Middle East. For a long, long time, the Foreign Office in particular has been supported, seemed to be supportive of the Arab countries. And one of the reasons why this visit is so significant is it's the first official visit by a member of the royal family to Israel in 70 years, since it was founded. We have done countless visits by members of the royal family to Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries, such as Jordan. We've never been to Israel before officially. Prince Charles went twice for funerals, but he and they, they had kind of private visits, but no official visit. And this is why it's the royal family, as we've talked about before, is meant to be above politics. But in this situation, it's unavoidable that they are making a political act by going. Um, it's for others to decide whether that's a good or a bad thing, but that's the, the, the basic context of, of, of what's happening this week. And so the key thing uh, is that they have bent over backwards the Foreign Office and Royal Family to make this as neutral as possible. So the Prince started in Jordan, he then went to Israel, and today he goes to Ramallah to meet the, the Palestinians and the Palestinian leader, Manu Gadas. So tell us a bit about, mm-hmm. so three big meetings mm-hmm. that he's had, the sort of the personalities at play there. So we've got the President, who he met yesterday, Prime Minister Netanyahu, who he met yesterday, and mm-hmm. um, Abbas, Abbas today. as yeah. he said, he was meeting later today. How do those three men kind of fit into the political context? Are they in? Are they hardliners? Are they in favour of reform? What is? Is it a time of optimism? No, no, very simply. Um, well, it's optimistic in the sense that the, the, the prince has been cast in this role as, as, as a kind of a, a, a peace broker. It's fascinating that the Israeli president Reuven specifically asked the prince to go to Abbas with a message of peace. Um, again, I can come back to this idea of the royal family above politics, but here he's actually again doing a political act. Um, so in that sense, it's optimism, and, and it's, you know, it's encouraging that they feel they can trust Prince William to be this kind of go-between, this, this not necessarily broker, but, but bearer of, 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 of goodwill. Um, the... Difficulty here is we get into quite kind of um, complex and again very sensitive kind of uh, politics about, about land. Um, in the, the British position has always been for a two-state solution in in the Middle East, but I respect the, the land of the Palestinians and respect the land of the Israelis. In 1967, and. Um, kind of a date set in history, um, Israel expanded its borders to seize the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. It also seized, or, and this is really, really crucial, but I'm afraid it's very complicated, parts of East Jerusalem, where the old city of East Jerusalem is. And I mention this because Prince William went there yesterday. Now, Britain has never accepted the annexation of those lands, nor has the rest of the international community. 
But, <laughs> this is where it gets complicated, Netanyahu is a hardliner of all hardliners. He is by far the most aggressive um, of the recent Israeli prime ministers, and he has the backing of Donald Trump. And the fact that they still claim that Jerusalem is the capital, well, and the historic capital of 3,000 years, uh, is different to British foreign policy. And you can see why this gets very sensitive, and it gets even more sensitive because the British put out a press release, uh, the schedule for Prince William's visit, um, to say that the Prince is visiting the occupied territories. Now, Israel says they're not occupied, they are our territories. So that already caused a stir. In fact, one of the Israeli ministers criticised the British statement for using the word occupied. So you can see why this visit is fraught with diplomatic sensitivities. And to be fair to the Prince, um, he's actually been extraordinarily good at kind of navigating these, this kind of really thin kind of path he has to walk down. So I think it's a good time mm-hmm. to hear now from Russell who was in that meeting yesterday um, with William and the President um, when when William was asked to carry that message. And, and it was quite interesting what um, Russell had to say about it. And he, think, he thinks William was a little bit surprised to get it. So let's just listen to that now. One thing I should just say before we listen to the clip with Russell is that obviously we were recording over Skype. There were a few little delays in the sound. Um, so just be patient occasionally. Um, and you may also catch a little bit of, uh, of piano music in the lovely hotel where uh, Russell is staying. But there's plenty of interesting things that he's got to say. So do enjoy hearing his, uh, his bulletin from abroad. So hello, Russell. Um, where are you and how has your day been? Hi, Anne. Uh... Currently, I have just got back to the hotel in Jerusalem after a uh, completely packed scheduled day with Prince William. Incredibly historic events from today, really. We saw him uh, meeting the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He also met with the President uh, Ruben Rivlin. And from both of those meetings, you've got a sense of how important um, William seems to feel how this this um, this trip is really. I mean, he's a he's become the first member of the royal family to visit Israel in its 70-year history, and and I'm sure that he felt that this is a, a particularly important event with the eyes of the world on him, and it's um it, it's 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 in, in jam-packed. Probably the highlight from today was his meeting with the president when the president asked him to pass on a message to the Palestinian Authority president, who he'll be meeting tomorrow. And his message was one of peace. He asked William to deliver that message on his behalf and also tell him that it was a time that they were to put their differences aside and they were to stage a coming together. And I think that uh, you, could, you could feel the, the pressure in the room uh, when the focus was actually on, on William. And perhaps it caught him off guard, really, because a lot of the... Uh, the feeling from or the briefings from Kensington Palace over this trip has really come out and said that they're they're treating this as a very non-political trip um and it's not necessarily tying in with the 70th anniversary but um of the creation of Israel but it's it's a trip to 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 put Israel on, on the world stage when obviously there's a lot going on in the in the Middle East um and I think William dealt with it remarkably well, actually. He, he, he had to obviously think on his feet because I, I, I do think he was 
um, a bit blindsided with with that level of involvement in in the Middle East uh, peace process, which is a particularly um, fraught um, scenario at the best of times. So, uh, from from I mean, there's probably nearly a hundred journalists in the room listening to that. Um, and it's uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a day of historic proportion. And so you were in the room for that meeting. What did it feel like being there? It's been uh, th- this trip is is planned to the nth degree. It's um, and I think we we, we discussed last last week that it's uh, it's my my first foreign uh, with the with the royal family, first foray into to royal reporting, and it's. Um, Something like this, you, you you can't really put put into words the level of planning that goes on on uh, a trip like this. But it's um it's been jam packed from you know, first thing in the morning till to last thing at night. He's got loads of uh, events and engagements to be at. But this really was the focus of this Middle East um, historic trip. So he, we started the week off in Jordan, and it was quite. Um, more of a relaxed atmosphere. There's the the two royal families of Jordan, and obviously the UK have history going back decades, even hundreds of years. And you, you once we've got to Israel, I think that the, the political pressure and the global spotlight has certainly been on William, and and he's dealt with it remarkably well. But both of those meetings with uh, President Netanyahu and uh, sorry, Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Reuben Rivlin were the highlight of the day and, and certainly the over the next couple of days. So what's, and, what's the mood? No, well, I was just going to say that you, 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 you had it, so he had a, a brief introduction from, from the president uh, welcoming him to Israel. Um, they had a bit of a, a sort of a jovial chat about uh, football at the very start, which I think was William had previously said that he's, he's keen to talk about football to 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 anyone he's meeting because I think it breaks the ice a little bit um but but then when the president is put, putting that on him that obviously he knows he's going to, to meet the president of uh, Mahmoud Abbas later in the week um uh, which we which is actually tomorrow um I think he thought it was a, a great opportunity for him to be some sort of uh, peace broker um so he's found himself in sort of the middle of potentially important aspects of the, of, of the Middle East um, peace process between the two nations. Um, and it's quite, it's, it's, a, it's a huge well, it's a momentous occasion for him to be involved in, really. Um, and I think he handled it pretty well. And um, the Holocaust Museum this morning as well looked um, incredibly moving and the sort of the way that the victims of of the Holocaust they remembered is quite um, is is really poignant. He, William looked like quite moved in some of the pictures that came out as well. Understandably, he, he, he really was definitely. I mean, that was the the first engagement really. We arrived um, in Israel into Tel Aviv uh, late, quite fairly late in the evening um, on losing track of the days, but it, it, on on the Monday. Monday Monday evening. So to so. First thing this morning, he was guest of honour at the Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial Museum, which is the the, the, the world centre for uh, the commemoration to the six million Jews who, who were murdered during the Holocaust. Um, dur- during that, uh, he was he was taken through to the Hall of Names. He visited the Children's Memorial 
Um, it's it's an incredibly moving place to be, just to, w- w- without all the, the 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 fanfare and the actual ceremonies taking place. He he laid a wreath at the at the um, at the Yedvesham Central Central Memorial, uh, and I think that was particularly speaking to some of the the local Israeli press here that that will have gone down particularly well. That he he's spoken very solemnly about how what an effect this has had on him. Obviously, his great Princess Alice, who is the Duke of Edinburgh's mother, um, had her own hand in rescuing two people fr- from the from the Holocaust, and, and she's actually commemorated at the museum um, and at the Mount of Olives in Israel as well. So a hugely, hugely significant place for him to be. Um, the chief rabbi was here. He gave him a kippah to wear with an inscription in it. And, and William wrote in the memorial book about what an effect this place had had on him. Quite recently, I think it was a couple of years ago, him and Kate went to um, one of the, the uh, memorial places in Poland uh, when they were on uh, a tour of Poland and Germany. And he spoke about the effect that that had had on him and, and that re- re- repeating history, as it were, but cementing his knowledge of the Holocaust and, and, and what a you know, horrifying um, situ- situation people have found him in. But not being able to quantify even what the horror had meant to six million people. And, and, and that notion is quite um, repeated in the museum. And after, after such a sort of emotional um, morning at the Holocaust Museum and then a really quite uh, politically significant meeting in the end with the president, um, I guess there's no better way to relax than head to the beach and play some football. I know. So we had, we had a day of definitely two halves. Um, so we had the, you know, the memorial, uh, the uh, Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum in the, in the morning, then you had this really significant, heavy-weighted uh, political meetings in uh, the, the late morning, sort of early afternoon, um, where huge global focus on William, very statesman-like, more of a, of a coming together of two yeah. uh, heads of p- political heads of state when he's meeting the uh, Israeli Prime Minister and, uh, and President, and then flip it completely on uh, the other side. He was going to a range of cultural events which saw him taking penalties against some um, school kids. He scored two out of three. And then you've got him going to the beach to even get involved in a game of, um, it's called foot volley. It's sort of like a a hybrid version of volleyball. And they play it loads here in Israel, especially on the beaches. And um, I think the reason that has been done is because Kensington Palace were at you know, really stressing to to the, um, the the royal correspondents here that you know this 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 isn't a politically uh, sensitive trip. He's doing it for a multitude of reasons, whether it be the um, fitting in with the anniversary of Israel, the, the particular um, spotlight has been on the region at a time, and it's it's thought that it's been a good time to come to uh, Israel for the Duke. But I think from speaking to other royal correspondents and the, and the palace themselves that that is quite in keeping with a normal royal tour that you would have you know some a smattering of the the more solemn events maybe a bit of the politics woven in there but but also to try and see what normal life is like for israeli people 
um, as he did in Jordan when he was visiting a tech centre, a women's institute, and and there's been um, no slowing down of that in these in these packed events over the last couple of days. And football seems to be a bit of a running theme for the trip, really understandable during the World Cup. And Prince William's obviously, I think he's president of the FA, but we haven't sent any officials to Russia for the World Cup because of um, sort of strange relations and the whole spy poisoning event a couple of months ago. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, that's he's clearly the, the issue. He's clearly a huge football fan, and um, so I think he handed over a football shirt to the Israeli president this morning, and then obviously had his. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we know he's, he's a huge football fan. Obviously, he's president of the FA, huge Aston Villa fan, would have been no doubt distraught that the fact that they did they couldn't get through the, the, the Championship playoffs to get in the Premier League as they, they have been in previous years. But it has become a bit of a running theme. When we're in Jordan, he met the Crown Prince. Uh, Hussein, who's who's a bit he's slightly well, he's a lot older, younger than him rather. He's 23, but they they share a you know passion for football, passion for for motorbikes as well. And a great part came out because obviously we we travelled on the um, on the plane over with uh, Prince William and his entourage. And William came down midway through the flight and was you know having a bear. Uh, a bit of a chat and, and conversing with with some of the correspondents and and um, it sort of divulged that he had asked the Crown Prince to record the England game, uh, the historic England game, record-breaking game that we beat Panama in six-one, uh, and that we, we we hadn't been able to see because we'd been flying. So when, when we landed, he actually went to a range of engagements and then they watched it together in the evening. There were some lovely pictures from that as well. So, you know, that's, that's always a good way to cement a friendship and watch a, watch a bit of football together. Um, yeah, they were great. Yeah, it's, and, and, I think, and I think that has resonated throughout this trip. I mean, no escaping that the World Cup is going on. Um, Israel seems to be a really sporty nation. Yeah, the, the football element was seen in, in Jordan as well. And the Crown Prince is a, a football fan. William mentioned about the World Cup to President Netanyahu, and he also presented this uh, football jersey with Gerard's name and number on the back, uh, because uh, the president is a is self-confessed Liverpool fan. So I, th- I think when he's coming to these sorts of places and he's having to be quite statement-like, and there is you know, a, a huge elements of solemnness and reflection when he's going to particularly the Holocaust Museum, and, it's, and it is in, uh, inescapable in a place like Israel, um, that it really is helping to sort of lift the mood in places and, and break the ice when he's, you know, he's obviously meeting an awful lot of people in a statesmanlike manner. So I'm very glad that the Skype connection has largely held out, but we'll not push our luck. And it sounds like there's a lovely pianist playing in your hotel uh, hotel lobby as well. So we might let I you know. let you go uh, go relax after a, a busy day. But we'll catch up properly next week when you're back in the country to go through all of the details. So um, to our listeners, if you want any, if you want to ask any questions uh, to Russell about what it's really like to be away on a royal tour, then you've got you know sort of five five or six days to get those over to us so email podsavethequeen at trinitymirror.com and uh, we'll make sure we answer as many of those as possible next week but um, thanks for joining us Russell and we'll catch up again soon pleasure look forward to it Anne. very interesting to hear I think from Russell what it was really like to be there in those big political meetings um, and obviously more to come which we'll, we'll talk about further with him next week but I think it's an interesting time to 
for the royal family to be getting a little bit more involved with the politics. I mean, you mentioned about uh, Donald Trump backing the sort of the Israeli side. He, they've become the first country to recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which is a very divisive thing to do. And America's traditionally held the role of diplomacy in that area, trying to improve things. I think Bill Clinton made some progress in that era. Barack Obama was working on it, but you don't really get the feeling that that's a priority for Donald Trump. So could Britain actually play a role, do you think? It's incredibly difficult, this. You know, but Trump's decision to, to move the US embassy to Jerusalem was uh, an act of defiance to the rest of the international community, uh, which is always said, you know, the capital is Tel Aviv. Um, we do not want it, because what I was talking about earlier about, the, you know, which, you know, the annexation of parts of, of, of Jerusalem by the Israelis, which were the Palestinians said is their land. Uh, we don't recognise Jerusalem as, as, the, as the capital. It's a, so, and, and it marked a, as you say, departure for, for, from successive American administrations, going back to kind of the famous Camp David meetings in, in, in the 80s, to, to where they tried to act as the broker between both sides. Uh, and Trump seems to have no interest in that at all. Um, so he, but this is consistent with the rest of his international policy of, of, of playing fast and loose with, 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 with kind of history and conventions of what America's kind of acted in the world stage. Um, but the difficulty is with this that it is we don't know the consequences of it. it does it embolden Netanyahu? Does it enrage the, 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 the neighbouring countries? Um, and, and you know you. You'll, you should always be careful in the Middle East. It, it, is, a, it is a tinderbox, and, and, and one false move can have very fast and quick repercussions. Um, and this is why William's visit is, is, is kind of so sensitive, because it, it could be seen or it could be played by the Israelis as seeking the kind of validation of Netanyahu's policies. Now, now obviously, the palace would deny them that, but, but uh, it's not in the palace's control of how the Israelis spin his visit. Um, I will be fascinated to see how the visit to Palestine plays out and, you know, what will William see? I mean, will he see just the kind of, kind of, the, the kind of, almost sanitised part of Palestine, or will he go to some of the camps where, you know, these people have been displaced by the Israelis, will he see the kind of, you know, what's actually happening behind the wall? I mean, I'm not, I'm using that phrase, kind of, not metaphorically, literally, the Israelis have built a wall, you know, which has basically blockaded most of Palestine. Um, their argument is, of course, it, it's, it's about their own safety and protection, because a lot of the... Um, in the Gaza Strip, you've got people firing rockets at the Israelis. The, the people from the Palestine point of view would take a different side and say, "Look, you are you are basically cutting ourselves from our livelihood. We cannot get you know food and we cannot trade. What else are we meant to do?" Now, this is where again, you know, what Abbas, the Palestinian leader, says to, to William could prove crucial because then you've got him called back in another diplomatic kind of. Um, I was going to say hot spot almost. You know, this is it is an awful lot of weight on a on a on a, a young prince who has actually up till now never been involved in such a situation like this. Incredible. Um, thanks very much for making the Middle East. Um, <laughs>
uncomprehensible to me. Um, I hope you've uh, found Jason's explanation useful and interesting. To hear more about the Royals' role in politics, then do uh, do look up the episode that we recorded with Jason a few months ago on yeah. the Royal Visit. Yeah. I should just say one thing, Anne, because it's quite important, because you, you, listeners to this will have very strong opinions on it, and I've tried to be as sensitive as possible. If I have insulted one or other, it's inadvertent. I do understand that the sensitivities of this area. It, there's, you know, it's, for years I've been following this story. I've never personally felt to kind of actually come down on one side or the other. It's an issue which divides you know, political parties around the world that they kind of support the Israeli cause or the, the Palestinian cause, it's very, very difficult. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, <laughs> definitely. And the, the same from my side. I think it is, it is one of those things that, to me, does it feel like there will ever be a solution? Possibly not, but then maybe people would have said that about Northern Ireland a, couple, a few decades ago and the situation there is much improved still a work in progress obviously but you know we've got to have hope and a beautiful link to the fourth world visit <laughs> yes so I'm sure I'm sure we'll be getting Jason back uh, before too long certainly if uh, Donald Trump does end up meeting the Queen as it is thought that he probably will possibly at Windsor Castle um, so that would be a very interesting oh, one to watch talk about that. <laughs> well, we will look forward to having you with us, Jason. But now fashion is cooling, so we must uh, look back on what was going on at Buckingham Palace last night. For the second half of our podcast, I'm joined by our fashion director, Amber. Hello. And uh, Danielle Stacey, also part of the fashion team and a regular cataloguer of all of the uh, royal fashions hello sorry i always say you're a cataloger and curator no we need to yeah get a proper (laughs) comprehensive (laughs) compendium of uh, of fashion from danielle anyway so russell could actually have had another trip maybe sort of um last week because harry made a private trip to lesotho obviously it was private so nobody got to go with him and we kind of just found out afterwards with um nice pictures so seeing how his his charity was doing there but he was back in time to uh, to go to a big do at Buckingham Palace yesterday with the Queen um, and also with his wife, Meghan, um, for the uh, Queen's Young Leaders Awards, which is a Commonwealth initiative. Harry became patron earlier this year and last, last night was the final one. Um, but with his role as a Commonwealth Youth Ambassador and what he was saying last night, it sounds like he will be very much taking that forward over the coming coming years in spirit even if it's in a different kind of um incarnation um there were some celebrities there there was david beckham who always looks fairly stylish can't really get it wrong that boy can he no and it was obviously at the wedding so um opportunity for him to catch up with uh, with megan and harry Aurea Duba, TV presenter, was there. Olympic champion Nicola Adams was there. I thought she looked rather fabulous in her a really striking sort of blue and white suit. Uh, Lenny Henry, the comedian, was there, and they were meeting young people who've made changes to their communities, mental health advocates, people tackling domestic violence, all really important, interesting stuff. But obviously, inevitably, what we really want to see is what Megan's going to wear. <laughs> and, and she didn't disappoint. And, well, for me, she didn't disappoint. What did you What did you think of her look? I thought it was very elegant. I mean, I loved the fact that we got to say the Duchess wears Prada because that was a good little headline yeah. that we used ne- online today. Never mind the Devil wears Prada. The no, Duchess, the wears, Duchess Prada wears Prada now. Prada. Obviously, we haven't seen her wear 
the label before, so it's always nice to see what she's going to turn to next, so to speak. You know, she's kind of coming up with this winning formula, but she's not just sticking to the same design. Obviously, she's worn a lot of things by Givenchy, but she's branched out as well. Fun, it was actually very similar to the Carolina Herrera outfit that she wore for Trooping the Colour. Very similar style. And we, I know we keep going back to this, but she does love a neckline, doesn't yeah, she? And she loves neck, that yeah. particular neckline. So I think she's single-handedly championing that at the moment and making that very fashionable. But it does look very elegant on her. I mean, she has a fabulous figure anyway, but she has a very elegant neck and she's obviously very keen to show it off. What was your verdict, Danielle? I did think she looked, you know, glamorous. It was elegant. It was very chic. Um, I'm just a little... I've been a, bit, a little bit disappointed with her style since um, since the wedding, I must admit, because I want to see her in something a bit more, you know, a bit more colourful. All of her outfits have been rather neutral. I know she did have, you know, in the lead up to the wedding, it was, you know, a, a generally neutral palette. But I do want to see that little bit of... Do you think she's paid it back sparkle. too much? Yeah, I, I, I really want to see, you know, something a little bit quirky, you know, like the... Um, she had the stacking rings. We've not really seen them as much. Um, the messy bun, thats we've not really seen that, have we, since the wedding? Um, yeah, just a little bit of personality back into her outfits, I think. Interesting. A bit yeah. more pizzazz. Yeah. A bit so, more Megan Sparkle. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so, like, for me, obviously, the neckline and then the double, sort of the double button thing. Cause there's I been love a couple, the buttons. There's couple mm. of, a couple of outfits that she's worn. I think the... Um, either buttony or double double buttony I think the beach beach style dress that people were like oh this is a bit cash that was quite um buttoned I think as well and blush pink seems to be a go-to color for her yeah I mean she's really really sticking to the no color really isn't it it's that nude spectrum so you've either got cream nude beige which is such an awful word or that kind of the camely hues and then the blush pink that she seems to have moved into but I do agree with Danielle it's great and she has a formula and I know I keep banging on about this formula that she has she loves a knit tin waist and she loves a belt doesn't she whether it's on a coat or a jacket or a suit but um yeah it would be nice she can't keep doing this we do need we need to move on at some stage comfortable comfortable in this role so now ready to branch out yeah but again we've talked about this before I think she is very consciously not wanting to turn it into the Megan show all eyes are on her. She's obviously, they're taking all the limelight at the moment, but you know they are part of a larger royal family that's working very hard on causes. And I think they're very keen to push those causes and not just make it about mm. them. And I think that Megan's making a conscious effort not to make it into the Look At Me show. Mm. Practically, I mean, bateau necklines clearly are part of her repertoire and probably will be even if they suddenly turn into bright, sparkling rainbow colours. <laughs> uh, but how, on a practical note, how long does it take for those kind of fashion trends when we see somebody really pick it up from a designer point of view and let's face it she is basically wearing designer labels all the time now which yeah, I think no is also going on is there also really interesting but how long will it take for those trends to filter through more into what we see on the high street well, well, will, will it happen when you talk about fast fashion they just used to always talk about a six-week turnaround. And that's why Zara became so popular, I mean, and remains so popular, because they could turn a catwalk tra- trend around in six weeks. But it's faster than that now. They can do it in three weeks if they want to. It really is quite extraordinary how quickly they can run with a trend. So you could expect to see that, you know, any moment, really. And also, there'll be other shops 
that without even having seen it on Megan will have probably followed the designers. But then Carolina Herrera is not really a designer that the likes of Zara would have picked up on in the past. So this is really a trend that would be inspired by her, I think, rather than the designers that she's chosen to wear. Do you think we are starting to see the Megan effect on the high street? yet in general to be honest with you I haven't seen it but then obviously I spent my whole life walking up and down the high street it's very summer sales really isn't it it's extraordinary how out of pace we are with the weather because you can actually buy your whole summer wardrobe in the sale now but that will be gone soon I've actually seen kind of like transition pieces coming through and we're we're still in the height of our summer it's it's crazy so I think maybe it's something that you'll start to see in the next couple of months as that kind of transition, the next season clothes come yeah. through. You did a piece, didn't you, last week on M&S have already dropped their, uh, given us a sneak peek of their autumn-winter yeah. collection. So it's very much, you, you'll, you know, the boots will be in, in store, won't they? Yeah. Which is what everybody wants to buy in, in the middle of a heat wave. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it? it's a win-win in that you can buy your summer holiday pieces on sale. I mean, yeah. so... You know, bargain hunters out there is it's, it's a great time to shop so get out there because there's some great stuff and regular listeners will know that the weather is a little bit of a running theme occasionally <laughs> in this podcast it's currently baking hot and blue skies outside so uh, we are enjoying that a lot so um we will be seeing more of megan obviously in the coming weeks so it will be interesting to see how her her style evolves there were some people also commented on how she was sitting at one point because of yes. all things oh, she crossed her legs but at the knee rather than at the ankle which is apparently not the ladylike not royal allowed. way to do it no it's not etiquette so, so it's called been called the duchess slant when you cross your cross your legs at the ankles and then kind of put them off to one side which if you're you know i I was at a, um, a meeting last week and there was, a, it was two, two women sitting up on bar stools and one of them did point out that is basically the worst position for a lady to be in because there is no way to sit elegantly. But, but Megan is not on a bar stool. But she's still in training, isn't she? Oh, yes. So, you know, she's still got, she's still got some things to learn. Still she's, got the yeah. L plates. Yeah. <laughs> so give her time. She'll get there. She's great. She's fine. Um, and there were a lot of people springing to her defence as well and just saying it's all fine. And I think the Queen possibly isn't as stuffy as all of the comments about protocol make her out to be because she seemed to cope perfectly fine when Susan Sarandon walked up to her, did a little curse and said, can, can I introduce myself, please? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and she's, you know, she's been on the front row at Fashion Week this year. So she's, yeah, she's... She's down with the kids, isn't she? She's down, down with, with the ute. Yeah. Um, I must just mention an email that we got from one of our listeners. George Coop, thank you very much for getting in touch. It actually chimed with something that um, uh, one of our other listeners, Teresa, uh, mentioned as well when we were talking about Thomas Markle's interview last week and we said how sort of surprising we found some of the comments. Um, so George said... Um, I will say that from my American perspective, nothing Markle said sounded too surprising or provocative. When Harry asked for his permission to marry Meghan, he said yes, as long as Harry promised not to raise his hand against her. As you rightly stated, this is indeed a bizarre comment to make to a British prince proposing to your daughter. What I can add is that it's a very traditional, old-fashioned American thing to say. I see. It's It's more of a 1918 comment than a 2018 comment, but you still hear people say it. It has a bit of Old West or Frontier flavor to it. I see Thomas Markle as a somewhat old-fashioned guy, and I wasn't too surprised to hear it. But also, the problem with hearing any conversation that's reported back is you do not know the term 
tone in which these things are delivered. Ha- now knowing that it's something that traditionally people used to say, maybe he threw it in as a bit of humour. You just don't know, do you? Mm. But just hearing something that's been reported and not hearing the conversation, you don't know how these things are intended, and that's how things get twisted. So maybe he was just being humorous and, and uh, kind. And over a telephone, that, the humour often doesn't travel anywhere. No, anyway, so you just so don't know. It was great to hear that different perspective, George, and we are always... Uh, very keen to hear from our listeners I'm sure we might hear from some people on our discussion about Israel and uh, Palestine earlier which is obviously a contentious contentious issue um, we uh, mentioned earlier we're going to be seeing more of Meghan and Harry um, in the weeks to come there's some more details come up out about their trip to Ireland on the 10th and 11th of July so probably some good opportunities there for some different kinds of style um particularly or not or not <laughs> some dark green <laughs> some, some dark green boat neck oh she's done dark green already it's yeah nice they, went, they went to get Belfast didn't they uh, very briefly I think it was like a surprise visit didn't they and she yeah that was the mess the messy bun was there so yeah and she also sourced some designers some local designers didn't she it's a Greta, yeah, it's Greta Constantine, Canadian skirt and Victoria Beckham sweater. Yeah, so yeah. She, I think she might be doing some research into some Irish fashion labels. Yeah. I'm sure she won't mm. struggle. So two of the things that are on the itinerary, um, they're going to a Gaelic sports festival at Croke Park, which is a huge um, stadium and hugely important to Dublin and Irish life and they go to Trinity College where they will see the Book of Kells so they are not just going to the Guinness Brewery which is a relief (laughs) and obviously almost inevitably there's a garden party so you know job complete um so that's July the 10th and 11th and it's gonna be a busy week because July the 9th is Prince Louis's christening so there's a theory that Prince William may have picked that date or the family may have picked that date because it won't clash with any of the World Cup games should England get that far um, you know obviously pr- football's been a bit of a running theme um, during Williams tour so it is a bit you know it's clearly something that he cares about yeah and um, having to miss out on the FA Cup final because of his brother's wedding you've got to you know <laughs> you've got don't to want to miss out again <laughs> so, uh, so in fact Meghan and Harry are in Ireland on the day of the two semi-finals so you know, hopefully it will become a diary clash and a problem for them because <laughs> so far so good for England um so Louis will be a little over two months old. Um, so it's 23rd of April he was born. So it's his two-month two birthday at the weekend. Um, the christening will be at the Chapel Royal in St. James's Palace, which is where Charlotte was um, christened, I believe. And uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, will be doing the, um, doing the ceremony. Uh, we'll get to see, obviously, plenty of the family looking uh dressed up to the nines they like like to you know get dressed get dressed up for a big family day kate's had a bit of a theme so far in her outfit yeah a bit like the troop in the color outfits um but she's yeah she's the last two christenings she's picked alexander mcqueen and she's worn them both outfits again since um there was the ruffled alex like cream alexander mcqueen coat that she wore for george's we saw that again i think for a garden party and then there's the coat that we thought she was wearing for the the royal wedding but it turns out it to be didn't turn out to be the no same no but she's worn it for i think again like a garden party and a trooping of the color so it's she generally wears them again i think to pay like a little tribute to to george and charles 
looks, yeah. To see, as time goes on, if yeah. Megan ever recycles any of her outfits, if we're ever going to see them again. Yeah, that's well, I hope she does, because they're quite expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cost of her wear. Yeah, quite expensive, yeah. Quite. So, um, it's been a, it's, I, I think that week will be a bumper week for us on the podcast too. It's been an absolutely bumper week this week. Um, record number of people on the show. So Brilliant. Four, four guests. Um, I'm looking two, forward to hearing about having the Middle Eastern crisis explained to me. So yeah, very much, very much half of this. Yeah, very yeah. much a podcast of two halves. I hope that you have found something to enjoy in both of them, even if there was one half that suited you more than the other. We will be back before too long, back next week um, with Russell, fresh from his trip. So do send in your questions for him and uh, subscribe to the show to make sure you get the next update delivered direct to you. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time... Pod save the Queen! 